0: Chapter Seven of *Son of Tarzan*. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. *Son of Tarzan* by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Seven. Akut, discovering that the boy was not close behind him, turned back to search for him. He had gone but a short distance in return when he was brought to a sudden and startled halt by sight of a strange figure moving through the trees toward him. It was the boy yet could it be. In his hand was a long spear, down his back hung an oblong shield such as the black warriors who had attacked them had worn, and upon ankle and arm were bands of iron and brass, while a loincloth was twisted about the youth's middle, a knife was thrust through its folds. When the boy saw the ape he hastened forward to exhibit his trophies. Proudly he called attention to each of his newly won possessions, boastfully he recounted the details of his exploit. With my bare hands and my teeth I killed him, he said. I would have made friends with them, but they chose to be my enemies, and now that I have a spear I shall show Numa, too, what it means to have me for a foe. Only the white men and the great apes, Akut, are our friends. Them we shall seek. All others must we avoid or kill. This have I learned of the jungle." they made a detour about the hostile village and resumed their journey toward the coast. The boy took much pride in his new weapons and ornaments. He practiced continually with the spear, throwing it at some object ahead hour by hour as they traveled their loitering way, until he gained proficiencies such as only youthful muscles may attain to speedily. All the while his training went on under the guidance of Akut. No longer was there a single jungle spoor, but was an open book to the keen eyes of the lad, and those other indefinite spoor that elude the senses of civilized man, and are only partially appreciable to his savage cousin, came to be familiar friends of the eager boy. He could differentiate the innumerable species of the herbivora by scent, and he could tell too whether an animal was approaching or departing merely by the waxing or waning strength of its effluvium. Nor did he need the evidence of his eyes to tell him whether there were two lions or four upwind, a hundred yards away, or a half a mile. Much of this had Akut taught him, but far more was instinctive knowledge, a species of strange intuition inherited from his father. He had come to love the jungle life, the constant battle of wits and senses against the many deadly foes that lurked by day and by night along the pathway of the wary and the unwary appealed to the spirit of adventure which breathed strong in the heart of every red-blooded son of primordial adam yet though he loved it he had not let his selfish desires outweigh the sense of duty that had brought him to a realization of the moral wrong which lay beneath the adventurous escapade that had brought him to africa his love of father and mother was strong within him too strong to permit unalloyed happiness which was undoubtedly causing them days of sorrow and so he held tight to his determination to find a port upon the coast where he might communicate with them and receive funds for his return to london there he felt sure that he could now persuade his parents to let him spend at least a portion of his time upon those african estates which from little careless remarks dropped at home he knew his father possessed that would be something better at least than a lifetime of the cramped and cloying restrictions of civilization and so he was rather contented than otherwise as he made his way in the direction of the coast for while he enjoyed the liberty and the savage pleasures of the wild, his conscience was at the same time clear, for he knew that he was doing all that lay in his power to return to his parents. He rather looked forward, too, to meeting white men again, creatures of his own kind, for there had been many occasions upon which he had longed for other companionship than that of the old ape. The affair with the blacks still rankled in his heart, He had approached them in such innocent good fellowship and with such childlike assurance of a hospitable welcome that the reception which had been accorded him had proved a shock to his boyish ideals. He no longer looked upon the black man as his brother, but rather as only another of the innumerable foes of the bloodthirsty jungle, a beast of prey which walked upon two feet instead of four but if the blacks were his enemies there were those in the world who were not, there were those who always would welcome him with open arms, who would accept him as a friend and brother, and with whom he might find sanctuary from every enemy. Yes, there were always white men, somewhere along the coast or even in the depths of the jungle itself there were white men. To them he would be a welcome visitor, they would befriend him, and there were also the great apes, the friends of his father and of Akut. How glad they would be to receive the son of Tarzan of the apes! He hoped that he could come upon them before he found a trading post upon the coast. He wanted to be able to tell his father that he had known his old friends of the jungle, that he had hunted with them, that he had joined with them in their savage life and their fierce primeval ceremonies, the strange ceremonies of which Akut had tried to tell him. It cheered him immensely to dwell upon these happy meetings. Often he rehearsed the long speech which he would make to the apes, in which he would tell them of the life of their former king since he had left them. At other times he would play at meeting with white men. Then he would enjoy their consternation at sight of a naked white boy trapped in the war-togs of a black warrior and roaming the jungle with only a great ape as his companion. And so the days passed, and with the traveling and the hunting and the climbing the boy's muscles developed, and his agility increased until even phlegmatic Akut marveled at the prowess of his pupil. And the boy, realizing his great strength and reveling in it, became careless. He strode through the jungle, his proud head erect, defying danger, where Akut took to the trees at the first scent of Numa. The lad laughed in the face of the king of beasts and walked boldly past him. Good fortune was with him for a long time. The lions he met were well fed, perhaps, or the very boldness of the strange creature which invaded their domain so filled them with surprise that thoughts of attack were banished from their minds as they stood round-eyed watching his approach and his departure. Whatever the cause, however, the fact remains that on many occasions the boy passed within a few paces of some great lion without arousing more than a warning growl. But no two lions are necessarily alike in character or temper. They differ as greatly as do individuals of the human family. Because ten lions act similarly under similar conditions, one cannot say that the eleventh lion will do likewise. The chances are that he will not. The lion is a creature of high nervous development. He thinks, therefore he reasons. Having a nervous system and brains, he is the possessor of temperament which is affected variously by extraneous causes. One day the boy met the eleventh lion. The former was walking across a small plain upon which grew little clumps of bushes, Akut was a few yards to the left of the lad who was the first to discover the presence of Numa. "'Run, Akut!' called the boy, laughing. "'Numa lies hid in the bushes to my right. Take to the trees, Akut. I, the son of Tarzan, will protect you.' And the boy, laughing, kept straight along his way, which led close beside the brush in which Numa lay concealed. The ape shouted to him to come away but the lad only flourished his spear and executed an improvised war-dance to show his contempt for the king of beasts. Closer and closer to the dread destroyer he came, until, with a sudden angry growl, the lion rose from his bed not ten paces from the youth. A huge fellow he was, this lord of the jungle and the desert. A shaggy mane clothed his shoulders, cruel fangs armed his great jaws, his yellow-green eyes blazed with hatred and challenge. The boy, with his pitifully inadequate spear ready in his hand, realized quickly that this lion was different from the others he had met, but he had gone too far now to retreat. The nearest tree lay several yards to his left. The lion could be upon him before he had covered half the distance, and that the beast intended to charge none could doubt who looked upon him now. Beyond the lion was a thorn-tree, only a few feet beyond him. It was the nearest sanctuary, but Numa stood between it and his prey. The feel of the long spear-shaft in his hand and the sight of the tree beyond the lion gave the lad an idea, a preposterous idea, a ridiculous forlorn hope of an idea, but there was no time now to weigh chances. There was but a single chance, and that was the thorn-tree." if the lion charged it would be too late the lad must charge first and to the astonishment of akut and none the less of numa the boy leaped swiftly toward the beast just for a second was the lion motionless with surprise and in that second jack clayton put to the crucial test an accomplishment which he had practiced at school straight for the savage brute he ran his spear held but foremost across his body akut shrieked in terror and amazement The lion stood with wide, round eyes awaiting the attack, ready to rear upon his hind feet and receive this rash creature with blows that could crush the skull of a buffalo. Just in front of the lion the boy placed the butt of his spear upon the ground, gave a mighty spring, and before the bewildered beast could guess the trick that had been played upon him, sailed over the lion's head into the rending embrace of the thorn-tree, safe but lacerated. Akut had never before seen a pole vault. Now he leaped up and down within the safety of his own tree, screaming taunts and boasts at the discomfited Numa, while the boy, torn and bleeding, sought some position in his thorny retreat in which he might find the least agony. He had saved his life, but at considerable cost in suffering. It seemed to him that the lion would never leave, and it was a full hour before the angry brute gave up his vigil and strode majestically away across the plain. When he was at a safe distance the boy extricated himself from the thorn-tree, but not without inflicting new wounds upon his already tortured flesh. It was many days before the outward evidence of the lesson he had learned had left him, while the impression upon his mind was one that was to remain with him for life never again did he uselessly tempt fate. He took long chances often in his afterlife, but only when the taking of chances might further the attainment of some cherished end, and always thereafter he practiced pole vaulting. For several days the boy and the ape lay up while the former recovered from the painful wounds inflicted by the sharp thorns. The great anthropoid licked the wounds of his human friend, nor, aside from this, did they receive other treatment, but they soon healed, for healthy flesh quickly replaces itself. When the lad felt fit again the two continued their journey toward the coast, and once more the boy's mind was filled with pleasurable anticipation. And at last the much-dreamed-of moment came. They were passing through a tangled forest when the boy's sharp eyes discovered from the lower branches through which he was traveling an old but well-marked spoor, a spoor that set his heart to leaping, the spoor of man, of white men, for among the prints of naked feet were the well-defined outlines of European-made boots. The trail, which marked the passage of a good-sized company, pointed north at right angles to the course the boy and the ape were taking toward the coast. Doubtless these white men knew the nearest coast settlement. They might even be headed for it now, at any rate, it would be worth while overtaking them, if even only for the pleasure of meeting again creatures of his own kind. The lad was all excitement, palpitant with eagerness to be off in pursuit. Akut demurred. He wanted nothing of man. To him the lad was a fellow-ape, for he was the son of the king of apes, He tried to dissuade the boy, telling him that soon they should come upon a tribe of their own folk where some day, when he was older, the boy should be king as his father had before him. But Jack was obdurate. He insisted that he wanted to see white men again. He wanted to send a message to his parents. Akut listened, and as he listened the intuition of the beast suggested the truth to him. The boy was planning to return to his own kind." The thought filled the old ape with sorrow. He loved the boy as he had loved the father, with the loyalty and faithfulness of a hound for its master. In his ape brain and his ape heart he had nursed the hope that he and the lad would never be separated. He saw all his fondly cherished plans fading away, and yet he remained loyal to the lad and to his wishes though disconsolate he gave in to the boy's determination to pursue the safari of the white men accompanying him upon what he believed would be their last journey together the spoor was but a couple of days old when the two discovered it which meant that the slow-moving caravan was but a few hours distant from them whose trained and agile muscles could carry their bodies swiftly through the branches above the tangled undergrowth which had impeded the progress of the laden carriers of the white men. The boy was in the lead, excitement and anticipation carrying him ahead of his companion, to whom the attainment of their goal meant only sorrow. And it was the boy who first saw the rear guard of the caravan and the white men he had been so anxious to overtake stumbling along the tangled trail of those ahead a dozen heavily laden blacks who from fatigue or sickness had dropped behind were being prodded by the black soldiers of the rear guard kicked when they fell and then roughly jerked to their feet and hustled onward on either side walked a giant white man heavy blond beards almost obliterating their countenances the boy's lips formed a glad cry of salutation as his eyes first discovered the whites, a cry that was never uttered, for almost immediately he witnessed that which turned his happiness to anger, as he saw that both the white men were wielding heavy whips brutally upon the naked backs of the poor devils staggering along beneath loads that would have overtaxed the strength and endurance of strong men at the beginning of a new day every now and then the rear guard and the white men cast apprehensive glances rearward as though momentarily expecting the materialization of some long expected danger from that quarter the boy had paused after his first sight of the caravan and now was following slowly in the wake of the sordid brutal spectacle presently akut came up with him to the beast there was less of horror in the sight than to the lad Yet even the great ape growled beneath his breath at useless torture being inflicted upon the helpless slaves. He looked at the boy. Now that he had caught up with the creatures of his own kind, why was it that he did not rush forward and greet them? He put the question to his companion. "'They are fiends,' muttered the boy. "'I would not travel with such as they, for if I did I should set upon them and kill them the first time they beat their people as they are beating them now.' but he added after a moment's thought i can ask them the whereabouts of the nearest port and then akut we can leave them the ape made no reply and the boy swung to the ground and started at a brisk walk toward the safari he was a hundred yards away perhaps when one of the whites caught sight of him the man gave a shout of alarm instantly leveling his rifle upon the boy and firing The bullet struck just in front of its mark, scattering turf and fallen leaves against the lad's legs. A second later, the other white and the black soldiers of the rear guard were firing hysterically at the boy. Jack leaped behind a tree, unhit. Days of panic-ridden flight through the jungle had filled Carl Jensen and Sven Malbin with jangling nerves and their native boys with unreasoning terror. Every new note from behind sounded to their frightening ears the coming of the Sheik and his bloodthirsty entourage. They were in a blue funk, and the sight of the naked white warriors stepping silently out of the jungle through which they had just passed had been sufficient shock to let loose in action all the pent nerve energy of Malbihn, who had been the first to see the strange apparition, and Malbihn's shout and shot had set the others going when their nervous energy had spent itself and they came to take stock of what they had been fighting it developed that malbihn alone had seen anything clearly several of the blacks averred that they too had obtained a good view of the creature but their descriptions of it varied so greatly that jensen who had seen nothing himself was inclined to be a trifle skeptical one of the blacks insisted that the thing had been eleven feet tall with a man's body and the head of an elephant Another had seen three immense Arabs with huge black beards. But when, after conquering their nervousness, the rear guard advanced upon the enemy's position to investigate, they found nothing, for Akut and the boy had retreated out of range of the unfriendly guns. Jack was disheartened and sad. He had not entirely recovered from the depressing effect of the unfriendly reception he had received at the hands of the blacks, and now he found an even more hostile one accorded to him by men of his own color. "'The lesser beasts flee from me in terror,' he murmured, half to himself. "'The greater beasts are ready to tear me to pieces at sight. Black men would kill me with their spears or arrows, and now white men, men of my own kind, have fired upon me and driven me away.' Are all the creatures of the world my enemies? Has the son of Tarzan no friend other than Akut?' The old ape drew closer to the boy. "'There are the great apes,' he said. "'They only will be the friends of Akut's friend. Only the great apes will welcome the son of Tarzan. You have seen that men want nothing of you. Let us go now and continue our search for the great apes, our people.' The language of the great apes is a combination of monosyllabic gutturals amplified by gestures and signs. It may not be literally translated into human speech, but as nearer as may be, this is what Akut said to the boy. The two proceeded in silence for some time after Akut had spoken. The boy was immersed in deep thought, bitter thoughts in which hatred and revenge predominated. Finally he spoke, Very well, Akut, he said. We will find our friends, the great apes. The anthropoid was overjoyed, but he gave no outward demonstration of his pleasure. A low grunt was his only response, and a moment later he had leaped nimbly upon a small and unwary rodent that had been surprised at a fatal distance from its burrow. Tearing the unhappy creature in two, Akut handed the lion's share to the lad. End of Chapter 7